Hello everyone, and welcome to the January 6th edition of WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm David Jimenez, a partner with Floyd, Scarin and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our New Year report. But first, Happy New Year, everyone. The following highlights some of the employment law changes that take effect in 2014. California's minimum wage will increase to $9 per hour, effective July 1st, and further increase to $10 per hour, effective January 1st of next year. San Francisco's minimum wage increased to $10.74 per hour, and San Jose's minimum wage increased to $10.15 per hour. Domestic work employees who work as personal attendants are now eligible for overtime. The Labor Code statute for meal and rest periods has been amended to include recovery periods for employees who work outside in temperatures exceeding 85 degrees. These employees must be provided with five-minute cool-down recovery periods in a shaded area on an as-needed basis to protect from overheating. Employers are prohibited from requiring these work employees to work during a recovery period and must pay them one additional hour of pay for each workday a required recovery period is not provided. Undocumented workers are protected from retaliation for pursuing employment-related claims. Employers are prohibited from reporting or threatening to report a current former or prospective employee's suspected immigration status or the suspected immigration status of his or her family member in retaliation for exercising a right related to his or her employment. In addition, an attorney who engages in such conduct toward a witness or party to a civil or administrative action may be subject to suspension, disbarment, or other discipline. FIHA has been amended to expressly state that sexually harassing conduct need not be motivated by sexual desire. The legislature made this clarification in response to the 2011 Kelly versus the Conco Company's appellate court decision. New law prohibits an employer from asking a job applicant to disclose or from utilizing as a factor in determining any condition of employment information concerning a conviction that has been judicially dismissed or ordered sealed unless certain limited exceptions apply. Multiple new laws augment employment protections for crime victims. New law extends these protections to victims of stalking. New law additionally expands protections to prohibit retaliation because of the employee's status as a victim and requires employers to provide reasonable accommodation upon request for the victim's safety while at work. Another new law prohibits employers from retaliating against an employee who is a victim of a serious felony or other specified crimes for taking time off from work to appear in court to testify at related proceedings. 
And now our litigation news. The Court of Appeal approved an Almarez-Guzman-based rating after finding that the case need not be complex or extraordinary to do so. Here's what happened in the unpublished case of City of Sacramento versus WCAB and Arthur Cannon. Arthur Cannon injured his left foot and heel while working as a police officer for the City of Sacramento. His primary treating physician declared him to be permanent and stationary with no impairment of his activities of daily living and capable of performing his usual occupation. An agreed medical examiner agreed that Cannon was permanent and stationary with no impairment from a strict interpretation of the AMA guides. However, the AME characterized Cannon's residual condition using a gait derangement abnormality by analogy pursuant to the Almarez-Guzman decision. He used table 17 point or 17 hyphen 5 on page 529 describing a person as having a limp despite the absence of any arthritic changes equivalent to 7% whole person impairment. The agreed medical examiner conceded that the heel pain does, rate, it does not rate anything in the AMA guides whether or not these problems interfere with one's activities. The employer argued that a rating by analogy under Almarez Guzman would be proper only if the case could be characterized as complex or extraordinary. The workers' comp judge agreed with the employer, finding that the applicant had no permanent disability because his medical condition was not complex or extraordinary and therefore did not warrant departure from a strict application of the AMA guides. The WCAB agreed with the applicant and granted reconsideration in a split panel decision. The Court of Appeal affirmed the award in the unpublished case of City of Sacramento versus WCAB Cannon. It concluded that the need for a complex or extraordinary case is unwarranted interpretation of Almarez Guzman and is not required. It is undisputed that Cannon's condition, plantar fasciitis, was manifested only by his subjective experience of pain. His condition appears to fall right into the category of cases that calls for the physician's exercise of clinical judgment to assess the impairment most accurately. The American Tort Reform Foundation issued its annual judicial hell holes report. California was ranked by the foundation as the most unfair in the nation for a second consecutive year. Over the past two years, California plaintiffs' lawyers have filed a surge of consumer class action targeting big food. Some of these claims are brought by veterans of lawsuits against the tobacco industry who are looking for the next deep pocket to sue. About 75 class action lawsuits have been filed in the past few years. Rarely has there been a week in 2013 without a report of another class action filed against a food maker. California is the epicenter of this litigation due to its plaintiff-friendly consumer laws, large population, and the U.S. District Court for the Northern District of California's growing reputation for receptivity 
to such claims. Some also point to the Federal Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals' willingness both to uphold questionable class certifications and to be quite lenient when it comes to requiring consumers to show they actually relied on allegedly misleading conduct when deciding to purchase a given product. The Northern District of California, located in San Francisco, has earned the derisive moniker of the food court since it hosts more food marketing and food labeling lawsuits than any other federal court. Another trend, lawsuits brought to enforce technical standards of the Americans with Disabilities Act in California reached an all-time high in 2012. In recent years, there has also been a steady migration of asbestos lawyers to California from states that have enacted reasonable civil justice reform laws to give asbestos defendants a fairer shake in court. And now, our fraud report. A Fullerton tree trimming business owner has been sent to prison for five years. Jose Luis Guerrero, the 45-year-old owner of Jose Martinez Tree, Tree Service, pleaded guilty to underreporting more than $2 million in payroll to the State Compensation Insurance Fund. The investigation of the 2007 death of woodchipper Gabriel Gonzalez uncovered the widespread fraud. Investigators claimed that Guerrero underreported his payroll by more than $2 million. Guerrero pleaded guilty to 20 counts of intent to evade taxes, four counts of false or fraudulent statements to reduce premiums, and two counts of making fraudulent statements to obtain or deny compensation, all felonies. He also admitted to sentencing enhancement allegations for aggravated white-collar crime and also pleaded guilty to misdemeanor possession of an assault weapon. And in regulatory news, the Department of Workers' Compensation has posting adjustments to the resource-based relative value scale-based physician services and non-physician practitioner services section of the official medical fee schedule. The update order includes adoption of a 2014 relative value units, the 2014 CPT codes, and updated conversion factors. The changes took place effective January 1st. More information is on the Department of Workers' Compensation OMFS page. The IRS has announced that the standard mileage rate for business miles decreased from 56.5 cents per mile to 56 cents per mile as of January 1st. The IRS bases the standard mileage rate on an annual study of the fixed and variable costs of operating an automobile. Thus, the mileage rate for injured workers' travel should be adjusted to the IRS rate for travel regardless of the date of injury. Claims administrators should continue to pay the current rate of 56.5 cents per mile for travel from January 1, 2013 through December 31, 2013. There have been multiple mileage rate changes since 2008, 
So the Division of Workers' Compensation has posted downloadable mileage expense forms that show applicable rates based on travel dates. A new form with the 2004 rates is now available. CMS issued a notice of proposed rulemaking concerning circumstances where workers' compensation administrators can appeal recoveries which are sought by Medicare against comp claims. The SMART Act called upon CMS to create an appeals process. Therefore, this NPRM has been issued to comply with this requirement. Organizations have until 5 p.m. on February 25th to voice feedback about the proposed rules. Congress established the Federal Insurance Office, or FIO, within the U.S. Department of the Treasury in Title V of the Dodd-Frank Wall Street Reform and Consumer Protection Act. One of the tasks of the FIO is to monitor all aspects of the insurance industry, including identifying issues or gaps in the regulation of insurers that could contribute to a system, systemic crisis in the insurance industry or the United States financial system. The Dodd-Frank Act requires that the FIO director report each year. The 2014 report says that the financial performance and condition of United States insurers continue to show recovery and improvement from the decline during the financial crisis. The U.S. insurance industry reported record aggregate premium levels in 2012. The U.S. insurance industry currently has more than 1,000 life and health insurers and more than 2,700 property casualty insurers. Surplus levels were at record highs for both sectors. Both reported improved profitability in 2012. Market values of insurers have also been recovering since the financial crisis. Life and health insurer insolvency levels are at the lowest point in 40 years. Property and casualty insurance insolvency levels are at relative lows compared to the past, the last few decades. Insurer insolvencies occurred with some regularity during the late 1980s and early 1990s and peaked in 1991 at 142. These insolvencies prompted congressional inquiries and efforts by state regulators to develop a program whereby states were required through an accreditation process to adopt solvency laws and regulations that meet certain minimum standards. Despite the seemingly good financial news, the report concludes that insurance regulation in the United States is best achieved through a hybrid model in which state and federal authorities can work together. Their roles defined by which strength each party brings to the process of improving solvency and market conduct regulation. Industry reaction thus far has been measured, if not mostly predictable. The president and CEO of the Property Casualty Insurance Insurers Association of America notes that the report starts by listing a number of attacks on state regulation that PCI believes does not adequately reflect the strengths and historical success of the current 
state-based system. Similarly, the National Association of Professional Insurance Agents says the report fails to properly highlight conclusions of a June 27th Government Accountability Office report stating that the state-based system worked effectively to help mitigate the negative impacts the 2008 financial crisis had on the insurance industry. One of the more colorful, colorful turns of phrase and phrases in describing the FIO's recommendations was offered by a PIA National Executive Vice President and CEO Mike Becker. He said that, on first blush, this looks like the camel's nose is under the tent. CMS plans to award a contract to a company that will conduct fingerprint-based background checks for thousands of Medicare providers. The contract will come nearly three years after the agency released a final rule on the screening, which is one of several provisions in Obamacare giving HHS new tools to crack down on Medicare fraud. Fingerprinting will not begin until two months after the CMS releases additional guidance on the issue. The winning firm will process the fingerprints within five business days and will report the results as pass, incomplete, or fail. The CMS rule on background checks divided Medicare providers and suppliers into three categories based on the risk of fraud. Those in the high-risk category, the CMS said, would be subject to the background checks. They include executives who have at least 5% direct or indirect ownership of newly enrolled home health care agencies and durable medical equipment agencies. Those businesses have been significant and persistent sources of Medicare fraud. The background checks are expected to affect as many as 7,000 500 executives each year. If they fail, they and their companies could be prohibited from participating in Part A and B of the Medicare program. To pass, an executive must not have been convicted in the last 10 years of a felony charge for crimes such as murder, rape, extortion, embezzlement, tax evasion, and any act that endangers Medicare beneficiaries. And in medical news, the British drug maker GlaxoSmithKline will no longer pay doctors to promote its products and will stop tying compensation of sales representatives to the number of prescriptions doctors write. The announcement effectively ended a too common industry practice that critics have long assailed as troublesome conflicts of interest. The announcement appears to be a first a major drug for a major drug company, although others may be considering similar moves. And it comes at a particularly sensitive time for Glaxo. Glaxo is the subject of a bribery investigation in China where authorities contend the company funneled illegal payments to doctors and government officials in an effort to lift drug sales. Glaxo is among the largest drug companies in the world, reporting global third quarter sales of about $10 billion, a 1% rise from the same period a year ago. 
sales fell markedly in China as the investigation proceeded. For decades, pharmaceutical companies have paid doctors to speak on their behalf at conferences and other meetings of medical professionals on the assumption that the doctors are most likely to value the advice of trusted peers. But the practice has also been criticized by those who question whether it unduly influences the information doctors give each other and can lead them to prescribe drugs inappropriately to patients. All such payments by pharmaceutical companies are to be made public next year under requirements of the Obama administration's health care law. A Glaxo spokesman said that each year the company spends tens of millions of dollars globally on the practices that it was ending, but declined to be more specific. That's all our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, iPod, Pad, and iPod, or Android device by searching for the Work Comp Academy with your podcast software. Again, I'm David Jimenez, a partner with Floyd Scarin and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. And drop by again next week for more news.